Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. I will confess I was not great at singing today because I was just sort of soaking today. That was great. Thank you very much, everyone. We are in the last of our uh, Advent sermon series, What to Expect When We're Expecting. <laughs> and uh, I, I want us to uh, today, well, first of all, in, in full disclosure, I wrote the wrong sermon. And sometimes you figure that out. Sometimes you figure that out late in the process. And, and so I... I did a reclamation project for this sermon and finished it, oh, I think about mm, 40 seconds ago, right there in, in my head. I, I think I had too much in this sermon. And so, well, hello. I think I had too much in this sermon and uh, finally took the whistles and bells off of it so that I could talk about the one thing that I feel like this passage of Scripture is talking to us about that I think is a very important, salient message for us. It's about fear. I, I would submit to you that um, as frightening as life can be these days, it's hard to be Christian. We are, we are uh, intimidated by the dual forces, let's say, of insecurity and scarcity, and sometimes they overlap, and, and the dual forces of, of insecurity and scarcity can so intimidate and in some sense intoxicate us that we miss, um, we miss our marks. We find ourselves in those situations uh, intimidated into listening to the loudest voice or the loudest voices and I'm not sure how often um, within our lives as Christians we ought to be oriented to the loudest voices. In fact, um, in more than one occasion in Scripture, the one who would lead us is understood to have a still small voice. I think it's a tough time to be Christian. I mean, insecurity is an issue, right? The lack of security is an issue, and if you don't believe it, just listen to the debates and to every single candidate. I've decided this year I'm going to vote, A, amen, right, you should vote. B, I'm going to be an informed voter. Harder than it sounds, actually. It means you have to listen to everybody. Ugh. Here's what I've noticed as I've done my due diligence so far to listen to everybody. They are working hard to tell us and convince us that the world is not secure. They don't have to work that hard, do they? Just, just this week, actually. The second largest school district in the nation, Los Angeles Public Schools, they were shut down, shut down because of a, an emailed threat. 
I mean, we're aware of the different uh, dynamics at work that make for an insecure land. We're, we're aware of stories like San Bernardino, where folks are shot by terrorists. We're aware. So these candidates, they actually don't have to work that hard, but they're still working really hard to say two things. This is not a safe time or place. This is not safe. But here's the second thing they're saying to us. I am, each candidate says, I am the answer. Two candidates I've watched, I watched, I watched hard, I watched hard as two candidates looked into the camera and said, I was taken aback by this, but two candidates looked in the camera and said, it won't happen on my watch. What? You think that won't get recorded and played back? It's a hard time. It's a hard time to be the folks who are supposed to be the ones who are odd and awkward in some sense because we are hospitable. I didn't expect an amen there, but it would have been really cool. <laughs> we are the love your enemies folks. And here's the thing, here's the thing. That love your enemy thing is, is supposed to be a thing and not just in a nice Christian greeting card sort of way or in a bumper sticker sort of way, but, I, but we're supposed to be the folks who put skin and flesh on loving our enemies and our opposites, and I just don't see it. Certainly don't see it on the platforms of the debates. It's a hard time. It's a hard time to be Christian. There's insecurity, but there's also scarcity. If, if there is a, a second message from each of one of these candidates that goes something like this, there's just not enough, there's just not enough, but if you'll elect me, I'll make sure to, to change everything and reorganize so that we'll all have enough. This, these election cycles, they scare me to death for us. And, and here's why. It's not because I don't want us to be involved. I, listen, hear me say it. We're, we're going to actually have folks from either side of the aisle here twice before we, we vote next November. We want you to hear these folks. We want you to be in the room as they discuss and debate what it might look like to be Christian and in politics, Christian and in government. I want you to participate well in the systems and the procedures. I just don't want you to allow them to tell you that they're the answer. These candidates are perfectly willing to provide us with idols, and it seems to me that the American electorate, and some of them are Christian, are quickly taking on these idols. Hear me, security is going to become an idol if it's not already. And not just in huge ways, we're talking about it around here. Did you know that we have a new, a new uh, committee, the Safety and Security for Children and Youth Committee? We're meeting today, by the way, at six o'clock. If you're on that committee, please be here <laughs> at six o'clock. But here's what we've had to say. Here's what we've had to say. What's our number one priority? Because if we're going to say our number one priority is that we so lock everything down so that nothing ever happens, that particular eventuality or reality could happen at the expense of our being faithful. Because really, 
The safest thing to do is to lock everybody in their homes. So we're asking the question, what does it look like to be the faithful people of God with children and youth and to take very, very seriously that we have an obligation, responsibility to be safe, secure. It's a hard time to be Christian. It's a hard time to, to be a believer because it feels like society is pushing us one direction and, and those who would, who would hold these offices are pulling us actually that same direction while the still small voice is at times pushing the opposite direction and saying words like hospitality, love for your enemies, your opposites. Has the world ever experienced a time like this? Well, yeah, they have, actually. Maybe, maybe several times. For example, the passage that we have heard read today. Let me give you a little bit of the historical backdrop, okay? Uh, the prophet Micah is in the south, is in the southern kingdom, and he's prophesying to Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And he's doing it at a time which is really dangerous. Now, see if any of this resonates with you. The northern kingdom had been wiped out by the Assyrians, and I continue to be just so incredibly shocked at how closely ISIS seems to align itself with the ancient Assyrian people. But the ancient Assyrians had already conquered and wiped out the northern kingdom and the capital Samaria. And so you had a conquered Israel that was now no more, and now you have this incredible refugee crisis because all the people from the north are flooding to the south, to the city, to the southern kingdom, to Jerusalem, and so you had a security problem because you had all of these refugees. What are we going to do with these refugees? We don't know what they're bringing in here with us. What are we going to do with all these refugees? There's only so much land and fill in the blank to go around. So not only do we have a security problem, now we have a scarcity problem. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Throughout our history, it's been hardest to be the people of God when we are suffering insecurity and scarcity. Frightened, frightened believers struggle to be the people of God. So in the South, you have this limited patch of ground and you had all of these refugees and people streaming to the city, and you have the Assyrians who are encroaching, and it must have been terrorizing, terrifying. So then the political leaders, they started to do what people do in times of crisis and scarcity. They started to cheat the system and hoard, and gather, and gather, and gather, and here's the worst part. It wasn't just the political leaders that were doing this. Somehow there were some people who were saying, well, we are the people of God and we lead the people of God, so somehow we're entitled to, and they kept gathering up stuff. And who do you think lost out? It was the most vulnerable who lost out. So Micah the prophet, Micah the prophet is watching this whole thing unfold, this refugee crisis. He's watching it all unfold. He's watching as the political and the religious leaders there in Jerusalem, the city of David. He's watching as 
The people of God fail to be the people of God. He's watching as bad leadership produces bad results. And he's watching as the people of God stray farther and farther and farther away. I hope you're listening from where God wants them to be. And so the prophet says hard things. <laughs> says hard things like this. Okay, here's what I'm seeing. The religious rulers, the political rulers give judgment for a bribe. Their priests teach for a price. Prophets give oracles for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord. They keep going through all of the rituals and they say, surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you and the way you are and the way you're behaving, Jerusalem, Zion shall be plowed as a field and Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. Ooh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Because you are doing what you're doing in response to this very normal experience of life, which goes something like this. There is a hungry people who devour whole pieces of property and, and people are devoured and, and land is chewed up and there is a winner and a loser and the losers scatter. And that's what we're seeing here. Now, what do we do? What does it mean to be the people of God? The prophet continues to dream out loud and says, oh man, what we need is better leadership because underneath better leadership, they will teach us how to go about this whole life thing better and we'll be better. In fact, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna beat our swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Then someday with the right leadership, nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Oh, if only that worked. Advance. Advance me a slide there, buddy. Is it stuck? I don't have anyone up there. This is terrifying. Okay. <laughs> wow. Whew. The next verse, but they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees. How about this? Under the right leadership, can you hear the ache in the prophet's voice? Someday. No one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts had spoken. Now that's the run-up to our passage scripture today. So what you have still coming from this prophet is this out loud dream now for what the right kind of leader will do what the right kind of leader will do, and how the new kind of kingdom will be organized. Now, the folks on the platforms at the debate seem to believe that the answer for whatever it is that ails us is the right leader in the right office. That's not our best hope. I hope we get a good leader in the right offices. That's not a bad place for an amen either. Okay? Yeah, right, right. Good leaders, good offices. Yeah, that's, that'd be good. But if they're all wrong and they're all bad, we still have hope. Amen. And if they're all great, if they're all great and they all are 
perfectly executing their offices in ways that we all, never happen, but in the ways that we all love, we'll still have a greater hope. Recognizing that it will not be a political leadership that will finally salvage the people of God and salvage the dream of God, supposed to be embodied by the people of God, the prophet says this, someday we'll have a leader. Now it's interesting here how in this forecast of a leader, the word king is not mentioned. It's a political designation. And Micah seems to be saying Perhaps our best hopes are not wrapped up in our, in our political leaders. <laughs> but you, Bethlehem, by the way, the birthplace of King David, of Ephrathah, by the way, which is also connected to King David, who are one of the little clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me. One who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. So there's a lot here that has to do with King David. And this is what the prophet is saying. Look, guys, God has shown us before that God can do things completely beyond our sphere of expectation. God can do things. In fact, throughout Scripture, God does things in ways that we don't expect, maybe in ways that we don't even agree with. I'm sure that's true. God is super interested in accomplishing God's purpose, not as interested in accomplishing yours. And so God says through the prophet, this is how our God is. We are not going to fight fire with fire and finally win this whole thing. We'll have to be completely reorganized reorganize. We will have to be people, having been reorganized, who follow a very different kind of leader if there is to be this kind of hope that we all ache for and long for and want so desperately and deeply. It'll have to be different. Completely different. Completely different. So our king is not going to come. Our leader is not going to come from the traditional halls of power. Not from Jerusalem. Not from the right family. But unexpected. Small. Jason, oh, here we go, good. And he shall stand. Oh, love these last couple of verses. Watch this. He shall stand and feed his flock to a people who are suffering great scarcity, who wonder where the food's going to come from that's going to feed everybody. Here's what this new ruler's going to do. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure. Wow. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. A very different kind of leader will bring us a very different kind of peace. Can I give us all some homework that I hope will last from now until November when you finally do cast your ballot? Let me, let's, let's do this. Keep an ear out for how these folks will not only define but accomplish peace. 
Does everybody know that peace is not just the absence of conflict? Two people, each with a gun, one shoots the other. You may at that point have the absence of conflict. Folks, you do not have peace. Yeah, that was a good place for an amen. Although some of you are not sure about that. In fact, in fact, here's what I would say. There is only one who can both define and accomplish the kind of peace that provides for a genuinely secure future. Only one. And wonderfully, this one is not up for election. This one is ours and we are his. At least I hope that's the case. Micah's gripe, amongst other things, Micah's gripe with the people of God in his day, time, and age was that the religious folks had this strange way of going about their religiosity and their rituals. It seemed for all intents and purposes like they were going about their religion and their faith and their rituals in ways that caused them to believe that they were somehow shaping God for the people's future. And I still think at times there are people who say, man, I better get to church, God's going to be mad at me. I better do this, that, and the other. If I don't give, God won't give back. Somehow as I give, I shape God so God gives back to me and then things are really going to be good. I want you to think about that. Sometimes, sometimes we have this sense that if we'll just do the right things, if we'll be involved in the right sorts of ways, then finally we can finally shape God's heart, God's thoughts about us in ways that finally we can finally get God to do what we want God to do, which is, you know, get our guy in office. We can finally get God to define success the way I want it defined, Lord. And Micah's gripe is, listen, you're doing it all wrong, and Micah's not the only one who gripes about this. Isaiah gripes about it, too, quite a bit. A lot of them gripe about it. Amos gripes about it loud. (laughs) What if? What if all of these rituals and coming to the table and dipping our hands into the waters of baptism to remember, what if all of the things that we do don't do a thing, don't do a thing to shape God? What if, what if all of our religious movements don't shape God at all? What if they shape us for God's dream and God's mission? What if? What if they shape our eyes and our ears so that we finally get to the place where we're frustrated about the things that frustrate God? What what if we participate in the table and all of these other things that we ask us all to do week in, week out, month in, month out, season in, season out? What What if as we participate, We are shaped by God for the mission of God and find ourselves 
frustrated with how things aren't going because we're so deeply convinced and convicted that these are the ways in which things ought to be going? What if we didn't leave society up to our elected officials? What if we actually were the people of God? One of my favorite uh, theologians, it may not work. Jason, advance me one slide there if you would. That is uh, a very smart man by the name of Jürgen Moltmann and stumbled across his quote this week. That is why faith, wherever it develops into hope, causes not rest but unrest, not patience but impatience. It does not calm the unquiet heart but is itself this unquiet heart in man. Next slide. Those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is, but begin to suffer under it, to contradict it. Peace with God means conflict with the world. One more slide. For the hope of the promised future stabs inexorably. We can't avoid it into the flesh of every unfulfilled present. Ugh. In other words, what if our participation in the people of God and the rituals of God, what if all of that stuff shaped us? What if we understood that it's not meant ever to shape God? But what if we allowed those to be channels through which God would shape us to be, in the right sorts of ways, frustrated enough with our societies, perhaps our own lives, our neighborhoods? What if it allowed us to be frustrated just enough that we finally get involved as the people of God, rather than allowing those in the halls of power to make all of the decisions. It's not going well. We ought to do something about illiteracy in this town. Let's pass a law of some kind. Let's figure it out, and we should. We should. We should think about it. We should probably organize better so that we can make illiteracy a higher priority so that we can do something about it. Although, watch this. It can't just be that, right? Last Saturday, a man by the name of Andrew came by in need of clothes. In fact, he'd come by the Friday before the Christmas blessing, came by. Did I really need some clothes? And so we were able to help him find some clothes, and able to invite him back for the next day for the Christmas blessing, and said, here's what's going on. It's a meal, and it's, it's uh, gifts that you would be able to, to provide for folks around you and all of that. And so Andrew came back the next day and did, in fact, get his clothes, and, and then we asked him to register for the Christmas blessing, only to find that he couldn't read or write at all. A man in his mid-50s or so, completely unable to read and write. Well, th thankfully, there was the person of God right there who stood up and said, it is time that we elect the right leader and we can do something about people like this. No, no, no. Here's what she said when she recognized that, she, that he couldn't read or write. Here's what this person of God in the right time in the right place, here's what she said. It wasn't, well, we've got to fix our city's regulations and our state rules and laws and we've got to get organized. No, what she said was, 
I will teach you to read and write. And so starting in January, right, Linnell? Starting in January, Linnell starts meeting on a regular basis with Andrew. Because that's what we do. I brought a prop with me this morning, and this is where we'll close. And, you know, we do try to videotape our, our services, but I don't know that we can zoom in enough to really appreciate this little prop. <laughs> it is a tiny little nativity scene, easily missed. I don't know how many of you actually saw it today. Tiny little nativity scene, easily missed. I like nativity scenes, and I, I, I guess I collect them. I don't, it's one of those, I didn't mean to collect them, but I do collect uh, nativity scenes. So I have four up in my little back inner sanctum all the time there in my office. And, and here's why. I, I, love, I love the counterintuitive nature of a nativity scene. Here, here's what I like about it. If you think about it, our symbols of faith are nonsense. What did he just say? Let's edit that out, actually. Let's take that out. Uh, but if you think about it, our symbols of faith, there's a cross, which is, uh, well, it's a tool for public humiliating execution. Sure, let's make that our central symbol. And then what it has to do with an image that embodies what's best about our particular style of leadership, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's have a muscular rider with a drawn sword on a white horse. That's what we should have. That's probably what we should have, right? And a lot of us would say, yeah, I can sign up for that kind of leader. But what we get is a nativity scene. One more slide, Jason. What we get is a nativity scene. So while the candidates arm wrestle to try to give us the best possible image. You're going to hear this quite a bit over the next several months. So-and-so's not electable. He or she is just not presidential. Well, what do we mean by that? I think, I think we mean big and strong and able to command a room and presence and all of that kind of stuff, right? And to that, we respond as the people of God with a manger, a nativity scene. We have found our hope. We have found our peace. Advent, the stories, the, the, the passages, the, the, the symbols, maybe we've heard them so often that they're not startling to us anymore. But let me tell you something, it's startling. I mean, even in our passage today, What's being said is, listen, if you are sitting around trusting the halls of power to fix this situation, it's not going to happen. It's going to be an unlikely, unexpected leader who will save us. And sure enough, God did it again, unexpectedly, in the person of Christ, in this nativity scene. Are you getting this? How many nativity scenes are up at your place? We have, a, we have several. Here's what I hope for you. I said this to my class today. I hope, I hope 
with both eyes, you take a look at the nativity scene and it troubles you because it stands against. It is an understanding of power, an understanding of trajectory, an understanding of leadership. It is an understanding of this particular kingdom that we're all supposed to be involved in that stands against almost everything else we're being shown and asked to choose. I hope that you see the nativity scenes in your house like you haven't seen them before, and I hope that they haunt you, and I hope that they say something like this to you, choose. Choose. It's not just ISIS that terrorizes. For some, it's the price of a gallon of oil that terrorizes. For some, it's staggering debt. For some, it's the marriage that is dissolving or the marriage that has now officially dissolved. For some, it's diseased cancer. Our hope, our hopes cannot be pinned to elected leaders. Our hopes cannot be pinned even to surgeons. And I, and I want us to have the surgeries and I want us to go through all of that. I just, I just want us to know that there is God beneath and behind all of that that is more trustworthy than any of that. Our hopes cannot be bound up and the obvious plays for power. <laughs> Don't be intoxicated and intimidated into not seeing something as small as this. But be odd and awkward in this world. Odd and awkward in ways that demonstrate that you understand something about power and leadership and kingship. And that you, by virtue of being involved in these rituals and these traditions and this Christian calendar thing, that you are slowly but surely being shaped into a person that has the eyes and the ears to expect the unexpected because you aren't trusting in some elected leader, you're trusting in the character of God that has not failed yet. Bethlehem means the house of bread. <laughs> God fed his people from the house of bread in the person of King David for a while at least. And then God did it again and fed God's people with another born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. In other words, what I'm saying is God is willing to do it all again. God continues to be the God of unexpectations. <laughs> God, shape us, shape us so that we aren't intoxicated and intimidated by the other plays for power, but shape us, Lord, so that we can be sensitive to and aware of and have the imagination for your light and leadership that come from unexpected places. If you are helping us today, please come and help to serve this meal.
Heavenly Father, bless these elements and by them shape us, shape our imaginations. Help us, God, to not be so intimidated or intoxicated by demonstrations and displays of power that we miss what is most real, what is ever-present, what's always been there, what continues to be there. Don't let us miss your voice, your leadership. God, somehow as we partake of this bread, the bread of life, would you use it? Would you use it to shape us that we might somehow be the bread for others? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left and to come forward. And come forward with cupped hands, ready to receive that which cannot be taken, stolen, purchased. What will happen is this, you'll come forward and you'll approach someone with, with the plate of bread. He or she will break off a piece of bread and place it into your hands and say this to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will have a cup. Dip it into that cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. Then take and eat. After that, you have a decision to make. I hope that you will determine that you will pray and ask God to fund your imagination, to make you sensitive to all the different ways that God is willing to define leadership in your life. God will shape your eyes and ears for the unexpected. You can do that at your pew, but I want to invite you to come to the front and pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, People that we trust very deeply will come to you and pray with you and anoint you with oil and pray a prayer for healing for you that we trust. Because maybe you are in need of physical healing, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's relational healing. Consider coming to one of these side padded altars for prayer today. And then everyone else is invited to these other altars. And what you'll find, no matter the kind of prayer you're coming to pray, you'll find that you will not pray alone. Someone at some point will actually touch you so that you'll know beyond any shadow of doubt that you are not alone. It was on the night that he was betrayed. Our Savior took bread and he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat of this bread, remember me. Later on after dinner, he took the cup and he held it up before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a brand new covenant. Every time you drink of this cup, remember me. If you can't come to one of these stations, then Jason is ready and Jason will come to you. Right now, all across the sanctuary, I want to invite you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, come forward and receive that which cannot be taken.
altars remain open. And I would encourage you even now, if you see someone praying, would you come and be the tangible expression of the solidarity of God for that someone? Just never know how it is that God might use you to communicate presence, powerful sense of presence. Father, help us to know how we too can be uniquely Christian during a time that seems to be marked by words like insecurity and scarcity. God, give us the grace to know when we have been compromised by our fears, compromised by that sense of scarcity compromised in ways that leave us as something other than or something short of your dreams for us, your people. Help us be aware of what voices cause us to feel the most insecure. And then God, reorient us in those moments, having given us some sense of insight and clarity, God. Reorient us in those moments back to a nativity scene. Back to the words of Micah. Back to the potential, the possibility that there is another way, a better way to define words like security, peace. God, may we be your unique and at times odd and awkward people in this world shaped as we are by your presence and by our participation in your presence which changes us because gratefully we say it doesn't change you so change us lord change us so that we can be people who can see like we couldn't before and hear and listen like we couldn't before church. Let's pray for Ken. You might call him Mr. Hardy. You might call him Prof. You might call him Coach. Would you surround Ken and his family with your prayers for healing?
be with his family, his church family that surrounds him. there's more. We want to reach out, send our prayers across the city to Teresa Veach, who's resting in a hospital, and ask that God you would heal her body. Lord, we ask you would come alongside Lynn Caprero and heal him. Be with Trudy as she loves and cares for him. Lord, we're grateful that both Parker and Margaret have had surgery this week and are recovering, but Lord, allow them to recover fully and recover well. someone right now who you've been praying for who needs a specific healing touch from God. And as always, that healing can be physical, it can be an emotional, it can be a relational healing. But as that person who God has put in your mind now, would you pray that God would reach, touch, and heal them? so much. Lord, and I ask that you would specifically surround those uh, this Christmas season, as Christmas approaches so quickly, those who are grieving, those who are lonely, those who are incarcerated. Lord, we ask that during these moments and this week, God, that you would provide strength and peace and the gift of your presence for those who may need it the most. kingdom. 